Hello and welcome to another episode of the Dongfang Hour China Aerospace and Space News Roundup. This for the week of the 4th to 10th of January 2021. I'm Blaine Curcio, joined as always by my co-host John Deville. We would like to first take a moment to send a special shout out to our friends at GoTigonauts and at SpaceWatch.Global, two excellent sources for space industry news. This week, we will bring you updates on the China MEND space program's uh, announcement for a low-cost cargo spacecraft. We will bring you an update on quantum communication via satellite. But first, some announcements from Kask at one of their uh, their beginning of 2021 company meeting. Ladies and gentlemen, we are honored to welcome you aboard the Dongfang Hour. Please make sure your seatbelt is securely fastened. Thank you. The first piece of news this week comes from the China Aerospace Science and Technology Corporation, or CASC. The company had their sort of beginning of company meeting for the year 2021, during which time they made a number of announcements for their ambitions、uh, for the year. So the, the big headline announcement that we saw was the company's plans for 40 launches during the course of 2021.、Uh, this would be a new high for for CASC for a year, and it would. Possibly make them the leader in 2021, depending on how many launches、uh, SpaceX is able to to have. But、uh, certainly, it will be a very impressive total.、Um, in addition to this 40 launch figure that was mentioned,、uh, well, I, also just one one last point regarding this 40 launch figure. So this would only include the number of launches from Cask in 2021. It does not include XSpace or any of China's commercial、uh, launch companies. So、um, again, big piece of, of news with this 40 launches. Other things mentioned by Cask during this sort of.、Um, Beginning of the year annual meeting were several of the technological,、um, well, several of the technologies that CASP was going to emphasize over the course of this year, and several other kind of、uh, policies that the company was going to look at. So this included phrases like batch manufacturing, which we have been seeing、uh, increasingly used in the context of commercial space. So this, you know, making ten or fifteen satellites at a time. Uh, or you know, making just more than one,、um, enhanced product quality, an acknowledgement that there's increasing pressure from commercialization of space,、uh, which requires Cask to make more efforts for cost controls. So basically, a, a pretty interesting kind of mixed message here from from Cask at the beginning of 2021. So this big figure for the number of of launches expected, there's obviously a lot of of、um, excitement. There's a lot more. Uh, focus, I think, on the Chinese space industry now than there was, say, two or five years ago. And as a lot of people say in China,、uh, space is cask and cask is space. So the increased focus on missions like Chang'e,、um, this is really an increased focus and, and, to some extent, an increased pressure on cask. And so you have this、um, again, this kind of mixed message of you know big year planned, 40 launches, but at the same time, this increasing pressure not just from、um, you know from this media and from more people watching space, but also from commercial companies. We have cost pressures, so a lot of different things going on, and、uh, certainly, I think overall, probably a more positive than negative meeting. I mean, I think Cask is is very excited for what's going to be a big year,、um, but certainly a lot of indications of of the ways that the industry is changing now. I think, and and、uh, if reading between the lines, you do see a lot of support for things like increased commercialization, increased involvement of commercial companies, this kind of thing.、Um, So yeah, a big piece of news here, I think,、uh, with Cask making these announcements at the beginning of the year, and again, this core、um, kind of argument that that is existing in China of this desire for the the state-owned part of the industry and sort of the traditional part of the industry to maintain control and to maintain、uh, capabilities, but that at the same time, this need to innovate more quickly and to innovate、uh, at a lower cost 
and to have more commercial companies involved. So definitely um, something to, to keep an eye on and, and something to think about a little bit in the context of China. Uh, so Jean, I think there would have been something similar announced this week as it relates to the, the China manned space program. Uh, did you want to, to take us into that or, or uh, yeah? Hmm. Sure, um, and definitely uh, a lot of interesting stuff, China's state-owned and state-land apparatus. So there was uh, the meeting that you mentioned with Casca, that was on the 4th of January, and barely two days later, on the 6th of January, we had China's manned um, space agency announce, publish basically, a request for proposals regarding a so-called low-cost um, cargo spacecraft, which is an uh, unprecedented move in China where things in space usually happen behind closed doors. And when there is a spacecraft that's to be built, um, basically, we just get um, the announcement of who is the main contractor and what he's going to build. So um, really a, a big shift in the publication of the statement by um, the CMS. And if we try to dig a little bit deeper into the statement, basically today, um, this year in 2021, this is the first year of um, the two years that we'll see the assembly of the Chinese space station. Uh, and it will be this year we'll have the core module, the Tianhe module, that will be launched on board along March 5B in the next coming months. And next year we'll see um, two experimental models, Wentian and Mengtian, that will be launched as well and be assembled. And so um, with any crewed space station, such as the Chinese space station, comes, of course, uh, a crewed spacecraft as well as a cargo spacecraft. And those are respectively the Shenzhou capsule and the Tianzhou um, spacecraft. And so basically China already actually has um, these spacecraft and that are operational. The Tianzhou, for example, flew for the first time in 2017, but apparently is, it is looking also for uh, lower cost commercial alternatives. And now if we just try to look a little bit closer at the Tianzhou, the current, currently operational cargo spacecraft of, of CASC basically, um, it puts 6.5 uh, pressurized tons of cargo um, in, um, to the Chinese space station. And that's that's really massive when you think, it, think of it. When you compare it to the Dragon um, cargo, for example, for the ISS, uh, I think the Dragon um, spacecraft puts six tons. And if you look at the Cygnus cargo spacecraft, it puts two, it's something between two or three tons. So really, Tianzhou is, is really a massive spacecraft, and that's even more true mm -hmm. uh, if you take into account the fact that the Chinese space station is much smaller than the ISS. Uh, I think there will be three um, Taikonauts perma permanently on there, as opposed to the ISS where you have seven. So it's it's not it's not oversized, but um, it was clear in the statement that the Tianzhou would really be for the main supply runs, and that there would need to be a, a smaller scale alternative um, for for our cargo resupply. And when we look at the requirements of uh, what was published on the 6th of January. Um, basically, the CMS um, is looking for a spacecraft that has a payload cap of somewhat between one to four uh, tons. There's a possibility also, it needs to have the ability to deorbit waste um, and its cost needs to be aligned um, with the international st standards. That's why it's called low cost um, commercial um, a cargo spacecraft. And something that's interesting as well, uh, it needs to return uh, somewhat, uh, something between 100 and 300 kilograms of um, payload back to the ground. And this is an ability that um, the Tianzhou spacecraft, as far as I know, um, is not able to do. So that's really a, a, a new arrow in the quiver uh, for um, the Chinese, Chinese man program. And ultimately, last thing, the statement, the uh, final, um, well, the deadline for this uh, proposal for any company would have to be on the 28th of February, 2021. So that's quite a short deadline. Now, I think the natural question that arises and that's on the lips of everyone is, um, is this for China a COTS moment? Uh, COTS being the uh, commercial orbital 
Transportation Services um, Policy and Program from NASA that dates back to 2006, and which really initiated the fact that NASA would um, you know, leave uh, cargo supply and sending crew members into space and to, to the ISS to private companies. And that's when we had SpaceX, um, Orbital Sciences, and um, Sierra Nevada company selected for cargo. Um, so, and, and, and I mean, this policy is widely regarded as something that was rather successful from a timeline point of view and also in terms of cost. So, um, I mean, it would make sense if China got some inspi- uh, inspiration from s- some of the more um, successful U.S. policies regarding um, commercialization. Just last thing before I, I, I pass it on to you, Blaine, um, my personal thoughts regarding if this is open to you know, private companies or not, as as was COTS um, back in back in the days in the U.S. I think there are pros and cons here. There, are, there's a really a debate on the internet. Um, I think there are quite a few cons. The first one would be that uh, the formulation in this statement was "downway," uh, so "downway" basically meaning unit. And I have a feeling that we're more talking about uh, various institutes of you know, the state-owned apparatus rather than than a private company. So that's the mm-hmm. first thing. The second. A con is the fact that we, I mean, any private company would need to have significant skills, experience, and financial resources to actually provide uh, a proposition that, you know, that holds together. And this is not the case today. We're at very low level maturity so far for a lot of the uh, Chinese private companies. And when you look at the companies that were selected for um, in the U.S. in 2006, it was um, Orbital Sciences, definitely not a small company, Sierra Nevada, uh, corporation, same thing. SpaceX admittedly was a startup back then, but backed up by a billionaire like Elon Musk. Um, so yeah, basically those are the cons. There are some pros, I would guess. And the first one is just the fact that China has published such a statement. This is really a, the first time, um, as I said, usually this happens behind closed doors. And so this would mean that there is maybe some space uh, for commercial companies. And I think the, the only one that comes to mind that would only that would have the ability to do this is probably Kasich. So Kasich, admittedly another state-owned company, um, but it's not CAS, the historical contractor for this sort of stuff. Um, it has the financial resources, the skills, and it's already been exploring for, I say, half a decade um, commercial space initiatives such as X-Space for launch and, and other initiatives for, for a communication satellite. Um, so yeah, that's... Well, I'd, I'd like to have your thoughts, Blaine, on this. Like, do, do what do you think of private companies or just commercial companies in general playing a bigger role in in, in China's manned um, crude uh, space program? Yeah, so I think it's definitely. Um, and, and apologies if my my phone is ringing in the background. I hope it's not uh, not too too disruptive for uh, for any of our viewers or listeners. But um, I think that definitely the wording and the timeline of the um, of this announcement is is not. Um, it, it is, it, it, it's not terribly surprising. So to your point, I mean, mentioning that uh, the bid would need to be submitted by February 28th of this year for something that is obviously quite complicated. So I really do think there would not be so many companies that would be able to do this. That being said, um, I do think that you're right to say it's it's noteworthy in that it is as open and seemingly transparent as it is. So, And, and I, I definitely agree with you that Kasich would be very high on my list of companies that I would expect to get involved here. But um, just thinking about, I guess, how sprawling and how sometimes disparate the business interests of China's SOEs are, um, 
it may not be limited to Kasich. I mean, granted, for this specific opportunity, probably it, it may be. But but just to take an example, um, so there's uh, so at the moment, I, I remember I about a year and a half ago now, I went to go visit SAST in Shanghai, and SAST, you know, they make the um, the 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 what do you call it? The thing which uh, makes the area between the module and the space station pressurized, basically. The the sort of uh, the airlock kind of pressurization kind of a thing. So they make this. And so, you know, SAST, they, they make this thing. They're the only, or one of the only companies in China that can make this. Um, but then SAST also makes, like, other very high-tech but seemingly totally unrelated things. Like, like they're trying to make hydrogen fuel cells or, like, other kind of batteries for cars, this kind of thing. And and again, that's coming from the company that does make you know the, these um, again drawing a blank on the the, the the word, but these airlocking things that go on the space station. Uh, they, they're doing a lot of other things now. Granted, you, you could argue that things on the Chinese space station are kind of the most high tech of high tech, and, and you'd probably be not entirely wrong. But but digressing, you you have a lot of state owned companies that have a lot of technological resources and a lot of money and a lot of engineers. Um, that seemingly do now potentially have the ability to compete for these types of, of contracts. And so I agree that right now this is probably, um, we're unlikely to see any you know purely commercial company bid for this particular contract. Um, but it's certainly, it's a step in the right direction, I think, from a kind of purely opening the industry up to more competition. Because really, I mean, I, th I think two years ago, this would have just been completely given to CASC or to some... You know, basically, would give it a cast with no with no open competition or anything. I mean, this is a step in the right direction. I think so. Definitely, I, I um, think it's um, it's it's also a good sign. I think for Chinese space companies, commercial space companies, because um, it, I mean, there, there has been questions over the four or five past years of what would be the business model of these um, various uh, commercial companies, how they would earn money, and mm. how fragile these business models were. And here, what you have here would be, um, you know. Um, Basically, the Chinese government, which is would be a great customer, it's good money. It would be, uh, you know, on a regular basis, and and uh, probably there'd be a bind, binding contract. And so, uh, I mean, this is really a, a great way to make some of these private companies grow. Um, and and yeah, basically, yeah, a, a, a really a, a solid cost customer for these private companies. Yeah, and again, I, I do. I, I just, I, I'm kind of just when you take a step back and look at this, it's pretty amazing to see that the the Chinese uh, manned space program basically said, yeah, we have this requirement, and if you can do this and this and this and this within this amount of time, uh, you know, you have a deal. Um, we don't really care who you are. Uh, so that that's yeah, definitely unusual and a step in the right direction. That's that's good stuff. Uh, shall we move on to quantum space to ground quantum communications? Absolutely. That's also a very uh, exciting piece of news. China published on the 7th of January an article in the very famous journal Nature about the feasibility of quantum key distribution from a space-to-ground uh, optical comms perspective. So um, just a little background on this paper. The universities that were involved were uh, the University of Science and Technology of China that's based in, in Hefei, that's in Anhui province. We also had the Shanghai Institute of Technical Physics. And ultimately, there was also the Jinan Institute of Quantum Technology, Jinan being the um, provincial capital of the province of, uh, of Shandong, if I'm, if I'm not wrong. And basically, the works uh, and the, the basically the conclusions that were in this paper that was published earlier the, this month, they were based on the quantum um, experimental satellite, um, also nicknamed Mozi, that was launched by China in 2016. Um, and the the idea behind quantum key distribution, just a, a few words on that, although that's definitely not my area of expertise, is um, overall you have two parties 
uh, that sent uh, that generate and send to each other a key through um, optical comms and through um, a certain um, quantum key distribution algorithms. And the quantum nature of this communication means that if there's a third party that's trying to eavesdrop uh, on the on the on the basically the transmission of these um, of the quantum of the key, basically the secret key, well, the initial two parties. Uh, would be aware because this modifies the quantum nature of the information that's communicated. Basically, that makes an, an unbreakable way of communicating a secret code. Because if, well, if you realize that you've been eavesdropped on, well, um, you just, you know, you throw away the old key and just you generate a new secret key. And quantum key distribution is something that um, has, I think that was theorized and that's, that's existed for at least three or four decades. So it's not something new. But the challenge here is to make it work over long distances. And I think so far it's only been done through fiber optic networks on the ground, never space to ground. And, um, and you know, a lot of things can go wrong because you can have, uh, you know, atmospheric, um, you know, turbulence and you can have background light. You can have a lot of things that make, um, things go wrong uh, and just change the message. Mm. Um, of the, I mean, the secret key that's transmitted between the two points. And so what China did basically is that they combined two ground stations that they had in China separated by 2,600 kilometers. They also had um, 2,000 kilometers of um, fiber optics on the ground. And when they put all this together, they were able to achieve quantum key distribution over a total distance of 4,600 kilometers. So definitely a world first, the precedent record that did not, um, that did not have space ground comms at all. Uh, I think was several hundred kilometers. So that's a big breakthrough. And what I also got from some of the papers that were um, discussions that followed the publication of this paper was that the next step for, for the Chinese is to um, work and to work on and, and to launch potentially more low-cost quantum key uh, distribution satellites and also to work on um, cost-efficient terminals. Probably the idea behind there is to, uh, at some point, to commercialize the, these technologies um, they're also looking into increasing the key generation data rate. I think it's several dozen kilobits per second at the moment. And final thing, they're also looking into um, doing the same type of experiment, but with higher orbit satellites. So MODS in 2016 was put into low Earth orbit. The idea is that if you um, can put you know, the same technology into medium Earth orbit or to geostationary Earth orbit, you're much higher and you're able to achieve um, quantum key distribution over uh, you know, much wider territory and much, much larger distances. So basically you can, you can imagine transcontinental um, quantum key distribution, although I think that we still have to wait a few years before we see that, especially at a, at a commercial level. So, um, yeah. Although to that point in Asia Pacific, you have seen already to now, uh, I don't think they've actually had tests of the technology, but they've, they've talked about having a lot of R and D in this area is, um, KTSAT, so the South Korean uh, satellite operator that is a it's a wholly owned, I believe, subsidiary of the uh, of KT, the the Korean telco, and um, there were a couple of articles in 2018 and 2019 where KTSAT CEO at the time was talking about the company wanting to to use quantum key distribution as a way of sort of multicasting um, information in in a way that is secure, as you have just described. So basically, this idea of being able to have um, highly secure information, uh, you know, broadcast from some central node up to a geo satellite, and then multicast to a you know number of different points. Um, so that was certainly, um, again, I, I I'd seen one or two talks by people from KTSAT at either I don't remember if it was APSCC conference or Communicasia, um, but it, it is something that that the South Koreans have also been looking into, and I, I do think that um, despite I mean to your 
correct point that we're still quite a few years away from this being uh, kind of a commercialized technology. Um, I think it's it's not terribly surprising to see that that China and South Korea are two countries that are really taking the lead here. I think they have some similarities in terms of like having comparatively large R&D budgets, also comparatively large um, military budgets, and also this kind of trying to um, do a lot of cutting edge technologies domestically, having that, that technology, you know, in-house as it were. Um, so yeah, definitely it, still quite a few years. Ago. I don't think 2021 is going to be the year of the quantum key distribution, but certainly it's uh, an interesting publication to see in nature, and we'll be keeping an eye on that for sure. Anything else from your side, John, on QKD? Nope, that's about it for for me for this week. Great. Well, this has been another episode of the Dongfang Hour China Aerospace and Space News Roundup. Please be on the lookout for our upcoming interview with Dong Lu from Comsat, which should be released probably this week. I would I don't want to overpromise, but but this week should be uh, be on the lookout. And uh, other than that, thank you very much for listening. We will see you next week on the Dongfang Hour. Thanks for watching. Thank you. Bye bye.